everybody. Thanks again for tuning in to Lessons with Troy, the podcast. I'm Troy Bernie Meyer. Well, I'm very excited for this week's guest. It's New Zealand-based Wisenborn player Thomas Oliver. Thousands all around the world, including myself, have been watching his masterful playing on YouTube, and I'm so happy to get the chance to meet and talk with him all about his music and also his life in New Zealand. We're going to kick off this podcast with a song that was his first song I saw him play on YouTube and what initially drew me to really love his music, and that's a song called The Moment, which you can find on his album entitled Beneath the Wisenborn. If you want to learn to play the song, check out my other site, onlinelessonvideos.com. And also, if you want to learn more about Wisenborn, Dobro, Lap Steel, or Pedal Steel, go to my site, lessonswithtroy.com. Right now, here's Thomas Oliver playing The Moment, followed by my interview with him.
Well, hi, welcome to Lessons with Troy, the podcast. I'm Troy Brinning Meyer. I'd like to welcome uh, Thomas Oliver all the way from New Zealand. Let's go ahead and welcome Thomas. How's it going, Thomas? What are you up to today? Very good. I'm uh, just working on some music and um, chatting to you guys. <laughs> cool, cool. Now, tell us, uh, we're, you had, you know, we talked a little bit before this, just kind of getting all, uh, you know, all the tech stuff going, but uh, what's what's going on with you right now? You're, you're, you're recording a new album. Is that something that that's, uh, you'd like to share, you know, talk a little bit about? Sure, yeah. I, I've been working on a new album for about a couple of years now, um, and it's it's a singer song. It's sort of like a full production singer songwriter album. So I suppose a lot of the slide players know me for um, "Beneath the Wisenborn," my instrumental Wisenborn album. Um, but with this album, I've kind of gone back to my sing, singer songwriter roots, I guess you'd say. Um, and it's it's ten ten tunes. I'm I'm currently working on the tenth, the last. So um, I'm almost there, which is pretty exciting. I, as I say, I've been working on it for quite a long time and it, it's quite a new sound for me in many ways um i've kind of explored different avenues and um i'm producing it myself so in many ways it's 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 a new step but in other ways it's kind of bringing all the things that i've ever done together for the first time and and so obviously there's Weisenborn on there there's some slide playing but it's not it's not centered around the, the slide guitar like like my last one was um yeah. So some of it's kind of acoustic and rootsy, and some of it's a bit neo soul and some of it's got electronic influence, and um, and yeah, it's nice. it's a, um, it's it's exciting. I'm I'm excited to to release it. That's very that's really cool. What so what you were telling me I thought was really interesting too. You said that you're you you live in Wellington, New Zealand, right? And then for for this album that you're working on now, you've kind of taken a little. Uh, a little break from Wellington, and you're you're off in a in a little surf town. And what we're seeing on the video right now for people who are watching this, this is your kind of makeshift studio that you go to get away from everything to uh, to record this album. I thought that that was just really cool. Um, what's life like? I mean, I'm I I live in you know near St. Louis in the Midwest. What's life like for you in in New Zealand? New Zealand's a it's it's a beautiful place with with beautiful people. Um, it, it's a very, um, it, it's got quite a distinctive culture. I think it's very relaxed. Um, people are, people are very mellow, um, and uh, I mean Wellington, especially, which is the capital city um, where I live. It's it's a population of about three hundred thousand, so it's a small city, um, and the people, you know, everybody kind of, when people come to Wellington and say, so what what do we do here? Yeah. I'm always like, man, you know what? I don't know. You just kind of go down the main street and you get a coffee and you sit and you talk to people. And you know, it's a that when I think about it, there's not a whole lot to do in Wellington, but the culture is just just talk, just people. You know, and they're, they're, there's a cool music scene and all the musicians kind of help help each other out. And you know, like the the bass player from a reggae band over here is also the you know the a DJ at, who plays a residency in this bar and. You know, and the the singer from this rock band over here also plays drums and in a soul band. You know, it's <laughs> and and everybody helps each other out on on their projects. It's a very community kind of music industry, and um, 
everybody everybody says hello to everyone on the street. It, it, it's a really cool place to live. And I'm in Hawke's Bay at the moment, which is where I grew up. It's four hours drive north of um, of Wellington on the east coast. Um, and this is, I mean, this place is just super slow and, and relaxed, nice beaches. And um, yeah, so I, I, I worked on most of my album in Wellington, but as you said, I, I came up here to, to finish it off basically just to do the last couple of months and and I can really see now why people do it because you know you hear all these stories of people going away to a, a cabin in the woods to to make an album and and um I, I've I've really kind of understood the value of that now because my head is clear and when my head is clear I it just allows all of those creative ideas just to come out without having to fight against your tax return and your, you know, all those things that you should be doing, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, all those things that you have to do in life, you know. Um, so, I, you know, for the last month, apart from a bit of touring and some shows and stuff, I've just got, got up, started at 9am, you know, worked on this album and, you know, I, get, I work through to about five o'clock with a, with a lunch break and then at five o'clock I have a beer and come back to work and, you know, have a couple more beers and I just keep working and, it's it's really nice, and I generally work till about eleven or twelve, um, and you know it's 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 a it's a good solid day, and and I wake up just wanting to do it again. That's 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 awesome. That's such a cool day. It, it it's uh, inspiring for sure. I'm sure people are hearing you know your average day when you're when you're doing something like that, and and uh, you know sounds like a sounds amazing to a lot of people. Sounds amazing to myself, especially living for you living in New Zealand. I'm sure you're um, you know. From checking out your Facebook pics and different things, I see, you know, you, other than just music, I mean, you you do all kinds of cool stuff in, in New Zealand. I mean, I I see that you do, you know, skateboarding and things like that. But are you into the yeah. surf community and and uh, things like that too? Uh, yeah, I've, I've been skating since I was about ten. Um, but surfing a lot, as I said, I grew up in Hawke's Bay, which is a bit of a surf town, and lots of my friends were surfers, but. Uh, yeah it wasn't really something that i that i picked up on i suppose because i you know growing up i would i would skate from nine in the morning to nine at night kind of thing so (laughs) you know i'd always i'd always just be wanting to go to the skate parks or go to the skate spots and lots of my friends would go go to the beach and surf you know i gotta ask this question maybe i'm too uh where my wife and stepdaughter call me Tragedy Troy because I, I always worry about breaking something, you know, a hand, a finger or something, you know, with <laughs> yeah, playing music. Yeah. I, I mean, when you're skateboarding, I mean, one thing that always goes through my mind, I'm sitting there watching you do all these tricks and crazy things. And I'm like, do you, I mean, are you worried? I mean, with your, with playing music and all that, do you ever worry about breaking a wrist or arm and not being yeah. able to play? Well, I, um, I, I think that I was never a really good skateboarder or anything, um, and I'm I'm far less of a skateboarder these days. Um, and I think that um, I mean, I, yeah, I suppose when I was sixteen, seventeen, I was, I was I was a decent skater. But the the moment that I dedicated my life to music, which was you know the the moment that I made the decision that this is all I was going to do, was I, I was about eighteen, and I I would say that that was the point at which I developed a true sense of consequence, you know? And so, um, <laughs> so yeah, like I totally know what you mean. And, and I think in order to be a good skater or a good, any kind of extreme sport or, or a good, a lot of things physical, you have to, um, 
you have to not have that sense of consequence and like you know good skaters they they don't think about getting hurt they don't think about the consequences and that's what allows them to achieve at that level and and I used to be like that when I was when I was a kid um but I think it was music that gave me that that sense of consequence so so I I don't skate I don't skate hard like I used to you know I, I skate most days um but sometimes it's just getting around or you know a little jam on a ledge or something and um and it's definitely in my mind um I try to ignore it because I also know that you know you can if you uh, you know you don't want to have too much of a sense of consequence or you'll never enjoy your life you know exactly um, yeah yeah for sure <laughs> well that's what I see when I see your picture I'm like this guy is the coolest guy ever you know he's skateboarding he's living in New Zealand he's you know probably surfing you know and He's playing Weisenborn, and I was just like, "Man, I gotta, I gotta interview this guy. If I ever, if I ever go to New Zealand, I gotta, I gotta have a beer with you." <laughs> yeah, man, for sure. Tell us a little bit about your new single that came out called "If I Move to Mars." Um, so that, so that's the, yeah, that's the first, uh, the first single from the, the album that I'm working on at the moment. Um, that's the, that's the first single from from this album. So, um, uh, we released that in second um, of October, uh, 2015. So it's been out for a few months, and um, it's been, it's, it's done, it's done such good things. I'm really excited by. You know how well it's done so far. It's had, it's in the New Zealand charts at the moment, and it's um, it's had you know even commercial, you know, airplay on the commercial stations, which is, um, which is cool to see. And um, uh, yeah, but it's a song. Basically, it's inspired by um, by the whole the possibility now of moving to Mars. You know, it's becoming a very real thing. And um, and I was driving, I was driving from Wellington to Hawkes Bay with with my girlfriend. And um, at the time, and, and she said, um, "Well, we, we're talking about what, what what would be a cool thing to write a song about." And we were we were thinking about because um, you know we had this four hour drive. We're like, we might as well do something productive or try and think of something. And and yeah. Mars was sort of in the news a bit, and and she she had the idea of um, of writing the song about Mars, and um, and so I I took that and and turned it into. You know, I guess kind of a love story. Like, if if I move to Mars, will you come with me? Because that's the, that's the part that makes it a song. I suppose the part that people connect to, and and so, um, yeah, the verses are kind of just this slightly tongue in cheek, um, description of all the things that we would take to Mars if if we went there. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but it was crazy because the the week, um, we, I I wrote that song. I finished writing that song about a year ago. And I've been playing it live in my live sets um, for, for a long time. In fact, I I first played it I think at Siget Festival in Budapest um, in two thousand August two thousand and fourteen. So that's when I that's when I had finished the song and and it and I, and it had sat on my hard drive for a while. And and my manager and I finally booked this release date for second of October twenty fifteen. And um and the week before that, NASA announced that they had this exciting news about Mars to announce. Um, and then they, so then that week, that Monday or Tuesday, they, they announced that they'd found water on Mars 
Um, nice. The, and then on the Thursday, The Martian. Oh, was it, is that what it's called? The, the movie, um, The Martian. Is that what it was yeah, called? Yeah, with, yeah, yeah. Matt Damon. Yeah, that came yeah. out on the Thursday, and then If I Moved to Mars came out on Friday. So it, it worked in our favor because Mars was so topical at the time. Everybody was talking about Mars, and then the song came out, and we had this music video made by Weta Weta Workshop in Wellington, which is um, which I'm sure you know of, and and they. Um, and you know, it's me plummeting to Mars. It's a it's a perspective shot of me in a spacesuit playing a space guitar and plummeting to Mars. So it was kind of serendipitous that it all just it, it seemed like we were just really switched on, or we'd been having communication with NASA or something. Yeah, well, that's what that video. That's what I wanted to talk about too, because uh, you know I watched a little bit of it and then um, saw some kind of behind the scenes pictures of kind of how you did it and. I was like, oh my gosh, that's how you did it. So they actually had you turned sideways, right? Is that kind of held sideways as you were being filmed? Can you talk a little bit about the video to that song? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um so we had to we had to give the impression that I was in space plummeting, you know, so I'm rotating, you know, end over end. Um and the the guys who, who created the video, um so Ben Hawker, Steve Lambert, and Haley Gray, predominantly, they they um from from Weta Workshop, uh, they they're all like space space gurus. So it was really important to them to get it right, you know, so that the physics couldn't be disputed. Um, <laughs> they didn't they didn't want to um yeah they're real perfectionists and and it just so happened that they were space freaks. So um so yeah, basically they a rig was made for me with a motor on the bottom. Which okay. suspended my body. Um, I had like they made custom molds that oh, held my body under here, under my right leg and under the inside of my left leg, and held me on my side. And I and it rotated slowly. So the room, the big, we were in a big room and it was all blacked out, but there was a light source at one at one point. So that was the sun, that that was so that the as I rotated with every rotation, the light would wash across my body, and that was the sun. Yeah. sunlight um so yeah um so i had this, this space guitar which was made for me and um it didn't have any frets and i had to wear these big space gloves um <laughs> and we're speeding the song up to 120 percent, so that when we slowed it down slowed the video down back to normal it felt a little more floaty than than normal so ah, okay so i was rotating on my side slowly um, playing a space guitar in gloves, singing my song at 120% speed, and I did that for a total of eight hours for that day. That the, <laughs> so I spent eight hours on my side rotating and playing the space guitar, and I I had to do six months, uh, six weeks of uh, of uh, what do you call it, Swiss ball workout to to make sure my core was um, was strong enough to. You know, to be able to withstand the day. No so I had way. A, yeah, yeah. So look, <laughs> I, I had Luke Hawker working with me, who's a um, who's a, a professional stunt stunt guy for film, and he um, he he made the, the 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 mount, and he was the one who was you know talking me through how difficult it was going to be, and um, and yeah, so I got a Swiss ball, and every day I'd do these exercises. It, 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 I mean, it was great. I got to get in shape, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's great. Oh my gosh! So that suit, then, is that um, what's what's what was going on with that suit? That obviously, I mean, was that 
a specially specially made suit that they made just for this video? No, it, it came from the States, actually. It was, um, I, I forget exactly where in the States, but it's a, it's basically a replica spacesuit. So it's, it's essentially a real spacesuit that's never been to space. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and I think it, its intention is for films and, you know, it's, it's to hire. So it cost, um, it cost about uh, $5,000 to hire the suit. Um which I guess is about uh, three and a half US or something, or four, four US, four thousand oh, okay. US, um, and that was just to hire the suit. So, but so most of the budget for the video went went on the suit. But because it's um, because the you know this perspective is looking down at my body the whole time, we had to have the real deal. We had to have a proper suit, and we got some patches made. So it said NZSA instead of NASA and um, you know we had a New Zealand flag instead of an American oh, on the side I think it was and had a little patch that said if I move to Mars will you come with me and so it was, a, it was a cool process oh cool cool yeah I was, I was looking at that that suit and I'm like is that a real NASA suit I'm like that can't be but it, it looked I mean the detail of it was was amazing mm. well cool well so you got the new album coming out. Do you have a title for it or a release date yeah, in mind or anything? The the album's going to be called Floating in the Darkness, and okay. um, it, it'll be out uh, second half of 2016. Oh man, I'm looking forward yeah. to that one. Thanks. Yeah, so I know that you know we've got you know people who are going to be listening to this that that are obsessed with your last uh, album, the Wisenborn album, Beneath the Wisenborn. And if, if you're listening to this or watching this and you don't have that album, I highly recommend it. It's an out, outstanding album. I mean, great tunes. The, uh, the, uh, the Moment, that's one that we're actually going to talk about in, in, in the podcast, but the Jurassic Park theme that you did there too. I actually, you know, I have some... Uh, some questions here. Um, I don't know if you ever get on any of these forums or anything like the uh, the forums that people for for it's not necessarily just for Weizenborn, but for Dobro or any kind of lap style instrument. Um, Rezo Hangout is one, and uh, I posted you know if anybody had any questions for Thomas Oliver, and we actually got quite a few uh, questions. But this one, um, let me see where it is for the uh, he had a specific question about the. Um, the Jurassic Park theme. Um, Andy from Boston asks, uh, he said, what is his process when he decided to arrange the Jurassic Park theme for Weizenborn? Uh, he said, it's a grand orchestral theme. What did he think about, what did he think about in approaching it from a lap guitar perspective? So, oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, thank, thanks for the question, Andy. Um, I think, I think that um, the first thing I mean, I've been in love with that score since I was seven, and it's pretty much been stuck in my head since then. <laughs> but um, I, I was actually just playing around one day and and just played the the melody, the the initial melody, just for fun. Um, that's how it got started, um, and it I loved it so much that I just sort of decided I'd I'd keep keep going and see how far I could get, um, presuming that. I would hit a wall and not be able to go any further. You know, I, I really didn't think that I would be able to, in some way, get arrange the whole thing. I was just doing it for fun. But once it became a serious venture, um, I, I guess um, the 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 two the two things that I had to make sure were in there. One was obviously the melody, the melody being the most important thing. But then the chord the chord movement underneath. 
and, and for me that's that's the biggest um that's the biggest challenge or the most important thing when when playing instrumental Weisenborn music or music that's intended for a Weisenborn alone so you don't have anyone else to hold the chords down um is getting the melody and the chord movement or the bass movement to work together and obviously because you've only got you know a, a single bar sometimes you, you simply can't reach the melody note and the bass note at the same time so that's when you have to um kind of think outside the box or, or perhaps retune the guitar or you know approach it from a different way to try and make that work um so uh i do it in in open e flat which is um which is just just standard open d upper semitone so i didn't really and that's what it was in, it was in d when i was playing around so i didn't really have to explore tunings too much um that just seemed to work um i went to e flat because the original piece is in b flat um and b flat i tried putting big fat strings on and going down to b flat but it was just too because i because i often do that and i go down to b i have these big these john pierce strings which are like 17 to 68 or something they're huge and I go down to, to low B, so I thought, oh, maybe I can go one more and go to B flat. So I tried that first, but it was just too low. So I went to E flat, and my reason for that was that um, E flat, to me, has the most is most similar. Uh, you know, every key every key has a feeling about it. You know, that kind of intangible emotion that comes with a, a key center. Um, for me, E flat it was most uh, similar to B flat. Um, out you know because I I could have done, you know probably B C, C sharp D E flat or E for example, yeah um and yeah, E flat's got a, a nice softness about it which B flat has too, whereas had I done it in D you know D's a really bright key to me it, um it quite vibrant and um it wouldn't have quite captured the same the same feeling so I went to E flat, and then um. To be honest, like a lot of it, especially in the main theme, kind of, um, kind of fell into my hands a lot easier than I expected it to. Some of the, because you know, largely that that main the the chord movement underneath that, um, you know, if you kind of ignore John Williams, inversion, a lot of the inversions or you know the, the way the certain instruments move around, if you just try and extrapolate the the fundamental chord. It's just one, four, and five a lot of the time, or, um, or depending on which way you look at it, E flat, A flat, B flat, yeah. um, and so, uh, and the melody notes happen to be usually within the chord. You know, when you've got a chord, but the melody note is not one of those notes. That's when it become can become difficult. But as I ventured into the song, a whole lot of, you know, it, it became a lot more difficult. Um, I, I actually, um, I, I came out of. I came out of that, you know, arranging that song. Um, sorry, I'm looking down here because yeah. I've got a Weisenborn down no, here. No, no, that's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I came out of that song actually feeling like I was a far better Weisenborn player than I was at the start because um, I actually figured out ways of doing things that I never even knew existed simply by pure necessity, you know, because the music was already there and I ha it had already been... Uh, you know, I was just there to work out how to get those notes onto that, and so I had to really think outside of the box sometimes and try different positions and different different ways of thinking, and and it it really expanded 
my own understanding of what you can do on the instrument. It, it, I'm so glad I did it, and now now I, I can take those things with me. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think to, to answer to answer the question, you know, uh, the the approach is is really just to make sure that a the melody is there and it's strong, and b make sure that the chord the chords are underneath that, so that you know that might just have to be one bass note, you know, an open A string or, you know, open B flat string in this case, but, um, you know, use your open strings to, to your advantage. Where obviously, when you, when you can use a bass note, hit a bass note, which is an open string, that gives you all the freedom you need with the melody. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe, yeah, generally like one melody note and one bass note will, will give the, will paint the picture of the chord, um, in most cases, so it might mean a bar slant, you know. Um, oh sure, but, yeah. But yeah, as long as you can get that that melody and that bass movement or the chord movement to happen together, then you've kind of got everything you need, I, I think. Nice, nice. So just um, kind of for my own um, understanding too, um, I know we're both kind of studio geeks, you know. We we've talked on Facebook about mics and different things, you know. Um, how do you go about? Um, miking your wise and born um, is it different for each tune I mean are you are you picking different mics for certain tunes or, or do you just have kind of one set way that you really like to have your your wise and born uh, recorded I, I've um, I've kind of refined over years of being in studios and recording wise and borns what I like the most um, mm-hmm. and and I've often um, been in studios and recorded it and listened back and just thought it's not as it's not as um, big as I want it to be or it's not as bright or it's not as whatever. I've always had a an image, you know, an idea in my head of how a Weizenborn could sound or how good it could sound in a recorded sense, and often not quite got there. And um, and there's a studio in Wellington called STL and, and Troy there, he, he helped me um, kind of try a whole bunch of mics and preamps and placements and everything to, and, and eventually I, I kind of arrived at um, what I consider to be my favorite. Um, but so, so uh, for, for most of the tunes on Beneath the Weizenborn, I, I don't use the same way all the time, but mm-hmm. for um, if, if I'm going to record an instrumental piece so where the Weizenborn is the only thing in the mix because um, that's obviously different to if you've got a drum got drums and bass and stuff um, I, I quite like the stereo I quite like recording in stereo and, and um, my favorite mics are uh, Charter Oak M900Ts so Charter Oak is a relatively new um, a new mic manufacturer um, run by a dude named Mike Deming who um, who is in the state somewhere I, I forget exactly where but um but yeah basically their their tube um instrument condensers tube pencil condensers mm-hmm. uh, so i've got i've got two of those and and i use um buzz audio preamps which to me are the just the cleanest and most amazingly um the, the dimension of them is incredible um they're made by uh made in wellington actually by a dude named tim farron so he's just down the road, and um, to me, they're the best. They're the best preamps I've come across for recording acoustic instruments, particularly Weizenborn. So um, yeah, I generally have one of those mics um, 
I just angle them in basically on my hands, so one on mm-hmm. my left hand, one on my right hand, through those preamps, um, and then pan pan them hard either side. Um, but my, I suppose my, I've got a bit of a secret which um, which I can share. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Only um, if you're comfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's all right. Um, I, I I love I love um, I love sub bass. You know, I love bottom end. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's because I'm a drum and bass fan or whatever it is, but um, I love, you know, when when I record Wise and Born, especially solo Wise and Born, I love the bottom end to be really deep. So not necessarily big, but well, you know, not 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 uh, what's the word? Um, uh, I can't think of the word. Not like too that. chunky and thick, but but the uh, but the bottom end to be really warm and and, uh, and, and deep. And so what I do is I record um, the pickup as well. So I have a um, I have a pickup in here which is a um, Fishman Neo D, which is a magnetic pickup. Um, and I've got one in my um, original Weizenborn, which is over there too. And it's a bit of a decoy, really, because um, because I don't I don't ever use this live. This is here purely for recording. And the reason I have that is that I found that magnetic pickups have the deepest sub low response um out of all the pickup styles so um um so so i record i record this too and then i um basically low pass it so that all that's remaining is the very bottom end so i just cut off everything because obviously i don't want my recordings to sound like a magnetic pickup because I hate them. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> uh, I hate that, you know, that quackiness you get in the top end. Um, so I take it all out so that all that's left is just a at, at the bottom. And yeah. then I compress it really hard. Um, I've got an LA 28 here, but, um, you know, with anything really, just compress it, hit it really hard so that it's, it's really even. And then, um, so you've got the two mics panned hard either side and then I just bring the um bring that bottom end up underneath and so what you get is uh, and then I'll put I'll put reverb on the um on the mics but not on the not on the pickup so the mics give you obviously the, the real character of the instrument and the air and the space and all that stuff and then what you get underneath is just this really deep but even because um, of the compression, it's very even and and, and it's very direct because it came straight from a pickup. So you get the sub low response, which is really deep. So if you listen to most of the tunes on Beneath the Weizenborn, um, the you know you'll hear that the bass strings are you know are, are quite are they they they're quite big and yeah, they're quite yeah. they're quite deep. Um, but but yeah, it doesn't sound like I've just turned up the bass or something. It, it, um, it just sounds like the spectrum is is greater. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, I wonder if I've, yeah. I, um, I just no, that's I... just something I tried. I tried, you know, experimented with it and arrived at. Um, but yeah, if I were recording in the context of a band mix or something, then there wouldn't be much point of doing that because the bass is going to be holding down those sub frequencies. But, but um, yeah, for for an instrumental piece where the Weizenborn is the sole, the sole instrument, then I feel. Yeah, the, the stereo thing gives you a massive spectrum. Uh, you know, g- g- panning them hard either side kind of puts your puts the listener like here. So um, it puts you inside the guitar, and then you've got this bottom end to fill out the bottom. So it paints this huge picture, 
but I've been going uh, for for this album I'm doing at the moment. I've been going back to mono recording. Um, you know, just one large diaphragm condenser, just kind of facing at the twelfth fret, basically. Generally, because there are other things happening in the mix, you know, be it drums or other instruments or bass or whatever. So, um, you know, that that whole stereo spectrum thing is not necessarily as as relevant or effective in the context of a mix. Um, whereas having a you know a, a really definable source for a Wiseman can be better in that context. But um. Yeah, does that answer the question? Yeah, yeah, man, absolutely. Yeah, I've for years now. I mean, I, I saw your uh, your your video on YouTube, uh, the moment, and it was when I was just getting into recording, and you know, I had a few mics, and I remember putting on headphones and listening through my studio speakers, and I was just like, "What is that? That is huge!" And I just, I mean, I'd listened to all these other recordings, and I, I, I tried myself. You know, that was kind of the 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 sound that I was wanting to get that big spatial uh, full stereo sound that you were getting on the moment. Cool. And, and, you know, also on, on those other tunes, that's interesting that you say that about the bass too. Cause I would, a lot of times I, I would have your album up there, you know, and I would a and B my tone. And then I'm not, you know, I'd yeah. say, oh, well, what's his tone? Like, what's well, my tone? What is that? And I'd listen in the truck and, and I'd be like, his, it has some bass going on. What is that? You know? And, uh, that's perfect, man. Yeah, I, I, they, uh, one of the mics that you used in the moment, because um, there's like a, I don't know, it's a tutorial or it's like a kind of a, it shows what the different mics sound um, like. Your yeah. X, the Cascade X15 and yeah, that's some right. others. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, that one's was, a bit different, uh, a bit different from, because that was, that was the first, um, the first Weisenborn instrumental I ever recorded, or mm -hmm. the first one I wrote too, but, um, so that was part of the whole exploration process, but yeah, the X fifteen is a stereo mic, so that's how you're hearing the um, the spectrum. Um, and there's a ribbon mic, there's a Cascade Fathead, I believe, which I've got one of somewhere. Um, and so that that really, yeah, that that recording of the moment on YouTube has a really chunky, like low mid sound, and that's um, so there's a a C four one four, which is you know really neutral, and then there's the Fathead, which gives it that kind of grit and that chunkiness. Yeah. And then the X fifteen which gives it the stereo the stereo feel. Um but I yeah, and and I I loved that recording at the time, but I kind of I kinda of moved away from that that chunkiness in the low yeah. mid that you get with a ribbon mic. I, I, I kinda of like a really quite a pure and and um like clear sound, I guess. So I re recorded the moment for Beneath the Weisenborn. It's essentially the same um I played it the same, but um, but with a new recording approach, so you can actually listen to. The, a lot of people comment on the sound of that original moment recording and how much they love it. Um, you know, as you just did, and um, and I think that people love that that ribbon kind of chunkiness. Um, but yeah, you can if you're interested, you can listen to that and then listen to the album version, and you hear because the album version is the two M nine hundred T's and the bottom end was ah. the. Yeah, the mo the original one doesn't have that bass trick underneath because oh. we were we were sort of trying to um, uh, yeah that that came about I think because Troy from STL he, he he asked me oh I've got some new mics to demonstrate you know would you come in and play something so that I can make a video to de demonstrate how these different mics sound and then you can have 
a video out of it kind of thing you know so sure. we just did this deal and so he's got on his youtube page one where he goes through the mics and you can listen to each one and and i and on mine is the the one that you've seen or you know um so uh so that's a slightly different approach to to what i what i would do now but um but yeah a lot of people have commented on how much they dig that sound yeah yeah and i'm just curious too this is you know just kind of for my own uh knowledge too when you're recording the videos let's say you know for youtube um what what what's the process with that i mean is that something where um you're getting one take or you're 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 you know the majority of your take is is good and then maybe you cut in you know cuz i'm i would think that you'd have to do some cut somewhere unless are you doing just all that pretty much in one take video and audio yeah uh, most of them most of them are uh pretty pretty legit you know what, what, really what you're, Man, that's yeah incredible. but there are there are some points where um perhaps i muffed a note and yeah. you know managed to find one from from another take um but yeah like oxy i think um that one I'm pretty sure I got that one in one take. Um, the moment I can't remember, I can't remember how that one worked. It was a while ago now. Um, yeah, Jurassic yeah. Park was the Jurassic Park one was was you know um, pretty legit. I think it was. I think I actually stopped. Yeah, I, I stopped at one point. Um, you know, I got to the end of a section and then took a moment to um, to work out when the next or what what happened next. You know, because there's so many modulations and sections and. And I kind of just froze there, and um, I think this footage of me sort of laughing. So while like, you know I'm sort of standing there, <laughs> and then I kind of laugh because and there are people around there filming me, and so I think we just um, you know cut out in the video and the audio, just sort of cut out the part where I couldn't remember and started laughing and just <laughs> snipped it together. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, f for the most part, they're all pretty pretty legit sort of one take performances. Man, that is amazing to me. You, uh, maybe it's just me. I, I I do so many takes. If you if you saw me in the in the studio, you know when I do these lessons, you know. But but yeah, I was wondering specifically on Jurassic Park because it is. There's so many movements to that. You know, I mean, it's it's incredible how. Uh, I was thinking, man, that he must have done that in, in multiple takes. But you don't see it in the video. In the video, it's just you know looks like, which yeah. obviously yeah, it's the same well, one. Uh, um, Jurassic Park I didn't do often I'll do them to a metronome like the moment and Oxy and these streets were clean I've got a little earbud going up into my right ear um, that you can't see in the shot but it's um, giving me a click um, so I'm playing to a click and most of them which makes it a bit easier if you need to do any editing at the end as you know you know if you've got a click track then it just makes everything a bit easier but Jurassic Park because it um, breathes a lot you know the tempos um, fluctuate a lot um, I I didn't have I didn't have a metronome with that one so it kind of it makes it harder to play you know you, like the, the the feel in the moment becomes more important uh, the feel in, you know spontaneously I mean yeah uh, um, becomes more important you know because if you want it, if you want one section to flow to the next naturally but it's got to slow down then you know you you kind of need to play that section and then that section. It's, it, it make, I just feel it makes it harder to drop in. If you've got a click track, you can kind of drop in and start again. Yeah. But yeah. when you don't, you kind of you you want to play as per you know as like what a classical player would do and just 
play the whole thing and feel feel their way through the the tempo modulations in real time. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Well, I got some of these other questions if you don't mind. Um, you want to sure, take a yeah. few more questions? These are kind of yeah. good. Um, let's see here. Okay, so obviously, I think you mentioned this a little bit, but um, uh, one of the the people wants to know what strings um, and what tuning. Let's let's just say what strings do you use for specific tunings, I guess, or what brand of strings, I guess they want to know. Cool. It's funny. I, I get like messages on Facebook and emails every day from people <laughs> all around the world saying, "What kind of strings do you use?" Um, and they probably feel like I'm going to have some really kind of insightful answer. But um, my favorite strings for Weizenborn are Daddario's. Um, for standard standard detuning, I would use um, 13 to 56, so the the red packet, the mediums. Um, if I uh, if I go down to C sharp, I'll usually use the same. So open C sharp, I'll use um, yeah 13 to 56. If I go to C. I go up a gauge to 14, 14 to whatever that is, and if I go down to B, um, I yeah, there are these John Pierce, they're called John Pierce Weisenborn strings, the ones I mentioned before, and they're 17 to 68. So when I go down to B, I use those. It says on the pack for detuning, but putting 68, 17 to 68 on your Weisenborn and tuning it up to D, I did it once, and I was like, man, it feels like you're just about to break the bridge off. So I don't know why it says for detuning, because to me that seems outrageous. But yeah, because um, they work down down for B. Because obviously, you know, the deeper you go, the looser the strings get. So you got to up the gauge to, to so that they can withstand it and sound sound decent. I actually, when I put those on the 17 and the 22 or whatever it is on the top two, they're just a bit too fat and there's no brightness. They're really clunky. Um, there's no mm-hmm. there's there's no like brilliance or presence in the top string, so I swap them out for, um, for a whatever you get in a pack of fourteen Dadarios, I think. Yeah. So yeah. it ends up being expensive because the 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 John Pierce ones are about thirty dollars because they're a special import. There's a a shop on Cuba Street in Wellington called Alice's Music who who gets them in for me, um, and um, so they're about thirty bucks, and then the, I have to buy another pack to get the the two, you know, so every time I play in B, it costs me, you know, $45 or something. Oh, um, man. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and if I go up to E flat, I think I'd just stay at 13s. If I went up to E, which I don't really, I'd probably go to 12s, you know, standard standard gauge. Um, but Daddario's I find to be the best. Um, and then if I'm doing different tunings other than standard, um, standard shape, like, some of the tunings on on some of my songs are, are slightly different. I just just kind of um, just think about it accordingly. Really, I mean, just if you think that thirteen to fifty six is a good gauge for detuning, then if you're going down, then you can up the gauge, and if you're going up, you want to lower the gauge, and um, and it yeah, that yeah. that's really all. That's really all I I think about. Gotcha. Here's another one um, from Dave. He asks uh, picks versus fingers. Uh, pickups versus mics when performing and or recording and there's i think there's like three questions here and what came yeah. first his singing voice or an instrument so first question is um which is actually a good question because i i'm a dobro player and i use picks you know i've tried yeah. to use fingers but i don't have any calluses on my fingers but i know yeah. you use your fingers any thoughts on that 
Yeah, um, I I actually have um, actually have acrylic nails on oh. my right hand. So just just on these four fingers. So um, you can see that I don't have them on here. So um, I I just go to nail salons, you know, as per any woman does, <laughs> and I just ask for four. I get funny looks all the time. Um, I just ask for four four acrylic nails, and and um, it's man. I just constantly have these now. I, I get them changed about every five weeks or so, and it's like having a super hand because I, I played. Um, I think a lot about half the stuff on on beneath the Weizenbaum was before I started doing this, so it was just the fleshiness, the fleshy sound, um, and I used to be into that. But now I, I love the brightness of these, um, and they don't feel. F- to, I've tried finger picks in the past, and they they feel very foreign to me, you know, because mm-hmm. it's an extension of your finger. Whereas these just feel like your fingernails because they're actually fastened to your fingernails, so it feels no different to playing when you've got long fingernails, except that they're louder brighter and they never break um so for me it's like you know it's it's just perfect I, I love i love having these um it's totally worth all the funny looks i get on planes and you know and, <laughs> um, but um but yeah i mean I, I think the playing with fingers obviously you get a softer warmer fleshier sort of sound and for certain applications that can be great like if i want to record a bass track for a song i'm working on i have to rip these off you know because you can't play bass with clicky fingernails oh yeah um or if i were recording a, a tune where i wanted a softer sound I'd, I'd take them off but um uh but these work great for me sometimes I, I look at guys like you playing with finger picks and i listen to that sound especially on a dobro you know and it it just sounds so bright and i love that i love the sound of, of finger picks on a rezo um and i you know sometimes i get a bit jealous you know when i'm when i'm watching rezo players with the finger picks and it just sounds so good and i think man i wish i could sound like that but they just feel so weird to me that um this is the perfect um the perfect kind of halfway point yeah that's something new i i mean i new relative to maybe your your original youtube videos you'd said because mm-hmm. i always would watch those and and see just the the fleshy fingers you know when did you when did you start using those again the the fingernails well, I start. I got my first ones when I was, you know, like seventeen, just trying them out, and occasionally I'd have them, and I'd just have them intermittently since then. Ah, okay. Um, but now it's got to the point where I just constantly have them, and if I, you know, I, I'll touch down in a place where I'm playing that night, and if I'm, if one of them's broken off, I have to go to the nail salon before sound check and get new ones. You know, I can't, yeah. I can't, I can't play without them anymore because that's what I hated about just doing fingernails was that if one broke you'd have bright tone on two strings but fleshy tone on another yeah. so it just oh, yeah. became so problematic all the time and it, and I don't, the finger picks for me you know I like the idea of not having to put something on my finger every time on my fingers every time I want to play yeah yeah even though obviously you got to pick this up but um yeah for me this is just um yeah it, I like them so much that I just constantly have them now and now I'm assuming that you've tried those uh they're called Alaska picks Right where they they go, uh, they're like a, a finger pick and they're like a fingernail. They go under your fingernail, but above oh, really? your finger. Yeah, yeah. Nah, never heard of them. Oh, really, really. Yeah. Oh man, I should send you. I, I I ordered a bunch and I never use them. I should put them to you. Oh in the wow. mail. Yeah. Oh cool. Are they are they aimed at guitar players or like rezo players or uh, yeah anyone anybody in particular? That, 
Yeah, the, their whole sell, selling point is it's like a finger pick, but you still get the fleshy part of of your finger. So it's yeah. it's just like a fake finger. The only the only awkward part, because I tried it a little bit, is basically it goes under your fingernail. So yeah. you feel this kind of weird plastic thing under your nail, which can be a little yeah. weird. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. If you check out on YouTube, uh, a guy who's actually he's going to be on the podcast coming up. Uh, Dan Spitz, he used to play with the group Anthrax, played guitar. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, He plays with those, and he really, you know, loves those Alaska picks. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'll check them out. Okay, so, yeah, getting back into some of these these, uh, questions, um, another one Dave had was pickups, and I think you had mentioned this before, pickups versus mics. Um, Any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, for recording... uh, you know, I would always use mics, but the pickup for the technique I explained before with the bottom end. Um, yeah. You know, so, when. Um, sorry, what were you going to say? I was going to say, so live, you're. Are you using mic or pickups live, or is it mics? Nah, generally, generally, I'm not using mics live unless it's like a you know doing a, a live session or something like. Some I'm sure some people have seen the Aston Road sessions that we did. Um, those were you know there were there are a couple of mics on the Weizenborn there. Um, but generally, generally it's just the pickup. So I'm trying to replicate as much of a mic microphone sound as possible. So my pickup of choice is a um, is an LR Bags Anthem, which is uh, you've probably seen them um, in people's guitars. It's the one the the one with the little cream thing that sits in here. Yeah. Um, this is a, a a piezo and a mic blending system. So there's a piezo that sits under here, and then a microphone which sits sits underneath the bridge. And then a blending system between them, um, and the so I use just about all microphone, but just a little bit of piezo. Um, like I said before, pickups are going to generate more sub-low frequencies than a microphone, especially a small microphone. So I dial in a little bit of the piezo, and that just uh, that just deepens the bottom end and slightly crisps the top end. Because if you think about a piezo, it's quite you know shrill at the top. I don't really like the sound of a piezo, as most people don't, but a microphone with a little bit of piezo just using it for its good qualities um, works perfectly for me. Um, and it's great because I, I do like I do this drumming thing on the Weizenborn, so I, it's good to have a piezo pickup under here for me because when I thump when I thump here, it's going to make a nice kick drum. And I need the microphone because when I'm drumming on the edge of the Weizenborn, obviously I need to pick that up. So if yeah. I had just a piezo, I could hit the side and nobody would hear it. But if I had just a mic, it, you know, it gets a bit that kind of nasally honky sound, and you don't get the that you want. So this yeah. works perfectly for me. The only, obviously, the the problem with it in Weizenborns is that in order to um, have a, a pickup underneath your saddle, you have to change. You know, you have to mess with the inherent design of a Weizenborn. So one of the one of Weizenborns, um, one of the kind of uh, distinctive facets of Weizenborns is that they had a floating saddle. So, you know, the, this piece of wire, which it literally is just wire, um, sits in a groove on on the bridge. Um, and it's just... So when you take the strings off it, you can just take it off. And it, But in order to have an under-saddle pickup, you know, you have to route a channel underneath this for the for the piezo strip to go, go in. And so this is my Tony Francis style for... Weizenborn, um, and 
Tony wasn't particularly into the idea of of having an under saddle pickup because it meant messing because you know his thing is is um, reproducing Weizenborns and, and being you know scarily close to the integrity of the originals um, and but but for me he, he he did that because he knew that it was a musical decision that would allow me to do the things that I wanted to do um, so he routed the channel under here um, on my original Weizenborn um, over there that we haven't put an anthem in that because um, you know we just can't bring ourselves to cut into the bridge basically um, because as I said that's kind of sacred to the, the original Weizenborn design yeah, um, yeah. We, we, we were talking about Tony making a new bridge for it um, so that we could take that one off and keep that one intact and, and put one in because basically I, I, I don't play the original live at the moment because as I was explaining I need I need this pickup in order to do the things that I do, so um, I think we might get to making a new bridge, which we can put it route route a channel under it. So I'll get to do that, play that one live too. Um, but there are all sorts of pickups that you can use. I mean, a lot of people love mag mics. You know, mag mics seem to be the choice, the pickup choice for most people. I think because Ben Harper uses them, and so naturally a whole lot of other people um, use them. I had one in this for about a year. Um, and I just, could, I just couldn't stand it. Basically, it, to me, I I really hate them. Um, so I'd, I've tried everything under the sun. I, I, and then I went to K and K Pure, which is transducers under here, and I liked that initially. And then over time, I grew to dislike it. It just sounded kind of nasally to me. But you know, it, it's such a preference thing. It, um, it's not really about what sounds the best. It's it's about what what sound works for you the most and what what works for your music so yeah. um so yeah mag mics are definitely not the one for me and i i really can't stand magnetic mic uh, pickups on acoustic instruments that it just it's just i, I hate it yeah, <laughs> um, yeah but this works for me and it allows me to to do the, the musical things that i that i need to do well, one thing that I was I'm looking at with my Weizenborn, it, it doesn't have any uh, pickups in it or anything, and it it you know I haven't found a good way to mic it live, but I I, I haven't tried this yet, but um, I'm looking into those DPA mics, you know, it like it's on a gooseneck and it, it yeah. clips on like clamps onto the side of the. Have you ever tried any of those? The DPA forty ninety nine, I think it is. No, I, I've never I've never tried. Um, I remember my dad telling me about them. Um, he may have tried them. I can't remember what he found, but I think, um, you know, perhaps feedback, I seem to recall his saying that, that feedback became an issue. Uh-huh. I think, um, you know, it depends on the environments you're playing in, but if you're certain rooms, certain venues, you know, when you've got a microphone sitting above your guitar and then two monitor speakers coming right back at you, you know, I think the thing about a Weizenborn, when you play a standard guitar, you can have a, a microphone that comes out on a gooseneck and goes back in there, and yeah. then its field is facing away from the monitors, which are coming like that. Whereas with a Weizenborn, because it's going down like that, you often find, you know, same as miking a Weizenborn, because you have to mic it that way, that's almost pointing straight into the monitors. Yes. So you'll you'll find that, that microphones are more troublesome on a lap instrument than than on a standard acoustic guitar for that reason so the yeah the anthem works great for me because i i never never have feedback problems but the mic sounds really natural it's right inside under here so um it, it works great 
Well, talking about your uh, drumming on the on the Wise and Born, my, my stepdaughter, she she's going to love this question. So on, on Rezo Hangout, uh, Hunter asks this. He says, uh, does he have any more plans to do additional Bieber covers, uh, meaning Justin <laughs> Bieber covers? The one he posted on Facebook made my wife and daughter huge fans. <laughs> and that's the same thing that my, my stepdaughter, she, you know, I'll play her stuff that I do. And she's like, oh, that's, that's neat. It's yeah. It sounds like everything else. And then, yeah. you know, I played her that and she was just mesmerized. Like, that's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It's funny that, that, um, I just did that. I was on tour in Australia and I had a day off in Melbourne and, and I was at a friend's house and, um, I was just, I was just mucking around. I was just, yeah, I was mucking around and I, I sent a Snapchat to a friend um, just because, uh, you know, you can only, when you use Snapchat, you have to hold the hold yeah. the button down so you can't play with two hands. Um, so I think I, I was filming myself and just went, Is it too late now to say sorry? Because he's a Justin Bieber fan and I just did it for fun, you know, and, um, and she came back saying, like, you know, you should do the whole thing. And I kind of laughed, and then I thought, well, I have got, you know, six hours with nothing to do, um, <laughs> and ev- everyone was out of the house, um, so I just thought, oh, okay, and so I just set about working it out to send to her, um, as you know, just for fun, yeah. and um, so I, I, it took me a few hours of trying to coordinate, you know, I had to learn the words and coordinate singing and doing this at the same time and stuff, and and I just set up my foot, my camera on a on the stairs and filmed it and I posted it to her and I sent it to my manager just to be like, I'll oh, check out what I did today kind of for fun, you know? And yeah. she came back saying like, holy shit, put that up right now, you know? Um, so, so I chucked it on Facebook and all of a sudden it was like, you know, getting, you know, thousands and thousands of views and, um, and all these new fans and, um, it cracked me up because I just sort of did it for fun and, all these people, you know, like hundreds of comments and people saying, like, oh, my God, you just made me a believer and stuff. A believer. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, it, it was, I only did half the song. I, I've sort of been meaning, to, to answer the question, sorry, um, I've kind of been meaning to um, to actually work out the rest of the song and, and just post a video of me doing the whole thing. Um, again, just, just for fun because it's, you know, it's it, it's a challenge and it sounds sounds cool. Um, but... I'm I'm not going to make a thing out of um out of doing Justin Bieber covers, I would imagine. <laughs> hey, I think you're onto something there. It's going to get a whole whole other generation interested in the Wiseborn. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I I knew we had we had talked too about um you know doing a song and including it on my other site, onlinelessonvideos.com, and we had talked about the moment, you know, having that um, tablature. I know that you know you have that available, but uh you know, tablature and, and MP3 and stuff. But what'd be cool on at least, you know, what I've noticed with that tune is some technical things that to me is are really difficult. And that's the tuning section of of that tune, the moment. I mean any any thoughts on how to approach that section? What I mean is on that, you know, where you change the tuning and Yeah. Yeah. Um I think uh it, it probably just comes down to practice. Um, I, I still, I, I'm still yet to to have the moment live where it just goes completely wrong because it's not the kind of thing you want to mess up because <laughs> yeah. you know you can't play once 
if you get it wrong, you know, you're kind of screwed. Um, it's I, I still haven't, you know, I've had some some kind of hairy ones, um, but nothing. I haven't had any disasters yet, which is good. I think um, you just have to, because um, every, obviously every time you restring your guitar, it it's going to put this tuning peg in a different place. So um, so you kind of have to be prepared for any position of of the machine head. So sometimes it'll be flat, you know, and you have to know because you haven't got a lot, a lot of time to do it. So you have to know how to work it. Because sometimes I'll go for you know a more kind of twist approach like that, or sometimes if it's flat, I'll push down on it and twist like that. Um, I think you have to be just as the section comes up. Um, it's good to just look at the tuning peg and think, okay, how am I going to approach this? Because you've got to do a semitones turn. Yeah. Um, but um, there are, yeah, the the main part that that because I've seen a bunch of videos of people playing the song on the internet and stuff, and um, the main part that people seem to miss in that section is um, the chord change. Um, <laughs> do, do you want me to show you? Do, yeah. do you want me to show you what I mean? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Because it goes um, uh, when it happens. Um, so what is it? It's that that note there. So um, uh, it's a, it, it kind of change. It's, it's essentially a five chord change. I don't know if you can see. But I'll move around. But yeah. Um, so when I play those three strings. The, the updated change that makes a five chord so you know you got the one chord and then the five um, so this so it goes and this part here is really just filler so that I can get my hand over here and prepare it for what's going to come next um, so so we go first is a sweet and it makes, I'll always make sure that I play this string really loud, like because that's the one that we're going to tune down, and you have to do it by ear, obviously. So um, you don't want to, you don't want to miss it, you know, or, or play it quietly so you can't really hear what's going on. I'll always sweep with, you know, a lot of emphasis on that string, um, nice. and then so and then tune down, and then there's another of the low C sharp. Um, and then the and then the second string, and then after that, that's when it actually goes to the fifth string. Um, so I've seen people do it where they just stay on this. Um, but it's actually got the change. So um, I got these headphones on. I can't hear what I'm playing, so my tuning's not quite <laughs> quite right. Um, but. Uh, yeah, so I think that that's um, that's probably to me the most important part because that's kind of what's nice about the change is that um, is that there's actually a chord change within it. It's not just a note sliding down by a semitone, but the, the chord actually changes too. So nice. it's and so on. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I love that tune. That's that's amazing. Well, man, what what else can we? Uh, <laughs> we're about, probably about running out of time. I know you probably need to get back to your uh, recording today. Oh, uh, I've got about um, I've got about an hour, so so we're probably probably all good nice. to chat some more. Nice, nice. This is fun. 
Uh, well, I know, you know, depending on when people are listening to this or, or watching the video, you know, I, um, you know, if it's after your gigs that are coming up, I, I know you've got some, some gigs coming up that you could promote. Um, when, when are those uh, happening, your, uh, your tour and all that? I'm touring Australia um, uh, in about a week or so, for, for most of February, basically. So um, uh, I'm actually doing a, doing a tour with Fat Freddy's Drop. So I'm I'm supporting Fat Freddy's. Fat Freddy's Drop is, for anyone who doesn't know, is kind of probably New Zealand's most well-known and most loved band. They're, they're totally awesome. Um, so I, I'm stoked to be going on the road with them. Um, so we're doing about uh, 11, 11 dates across Australia. Um, starting from about the thirteenth of Feb till um, till the till the end of Feb, so I'm just um, yeah I'm, I've got about a week to to work on my album and try and get as much done as I can before that tour, and then I'll be coming back to New Zealand um, at the end of that. So yeah, if there are any any Aussie listeners, um, yeah check it out check it out online and and hopefully you can come see a show. Nice and your I'll, web I'll your website is sure. oh what I'm sorry uh, what did you say. I'll have this with me for sure. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, to- ThomasOliver.co.nz. Nice, nice. Yeah, and I'll put up a, a link on there too for for you. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, man. Um, let's see. I know I got you here. It's like a. Uh, what What has happened as far as um, your? You, I wanted to talk about YouTube and kind of how that has uh, propelled your your. Uh, success or, or you know people knowing you because i i found you through youtube you know just randomly actually but uh, how has that benefited you have you found um well i i i think you know youtube was really what what um allowed people to discover me as a weisenborn player and it kind of led to all the other things that i do too but the moment was the first um, the first Wisemore instrumental that I ever wrote, and like I said, we just filmed it because of that that deal I had with Troy at STL, um, and I just chucked it on YouTube, just thinking, "Oh, cool!" You know, it was just something, just something for the sake of art, for the sake of it, really. You know, yeah. And um, and it just started to get thousands of views from all around the world, and it just kind of got me thinking about. It kind of made me realize that wow, the people really seem to dig dig this stuff. Um, and I so I wrote another instrumental, which I think the second one was "These Streets Were Clean," and I filmed that and put it on YouTube, and then wrote "Oxy" and and did it, and it started to, you know, I was getting, you know, lots of lots of interest and lots of messages and lots of views and stuff, and it, it I realized, wow, this is this is kind of something worth exploring. Um, so I decided I would I would do an EP. Of Wise and Morning instrumentals, um, and I was going to just put to get you know write five or six, and you know three of which were already done. So I was just going to write a couple more and put them together, and just do a digital download for, for um, for basically for the Wise and Morning player for the slide players. That's the way I saw it at the time, and yeah. as I got further into the process, I realised that hey, you know this is not music for slide players. This is like music for people, and one of the things that has really astounded me is that the beneath the Wisenborn and all of the kind of solo Wisenborn stuff I've done, it, it it has appealed so far beyond what I initially thought 
it would, which I, I thought it was just kind of for the heads, you know, this just for the the slide heads around the world, and um, but it's you know the, it just it seems to appeal to to people of all all walks of life, and it was really YouTube that that established established that for me, or or made me see just how much people love it because New Zealand's a small place, you know, um, and there's not there are not many slide players around. I mean, you, you know, you never see. A resonated guitar you know there, I know a couple of people locally who play and um and but it's not something you see and Weisenborn's you know like I'm like the Weisenborn guy here there's not really anyone um playing it um professionally um and so I suppose to to have that you know for to, to have that avenue where the world could could watch it, it yeah. made me see that, that that there was a lot more to it than I perhaps had um had anticipated, so I decided then to make a full length album instead of an EP, and I called it Beneath the Wisenborn, and and then, um, you know, and and as I got further through the process, I, I decided to make it, you know, I started to think about it actually as a whole concept and a body of work. So it's it's not kind of like a concept album where the journey is is as much a part of it as anything. And um, but yeah, I suppose YouTube was the thing that that really got it all started for me. Yeah. Yeah. Now I know um, kind of my my understanding of of Australia and New Zealand and and different things is it seems like there there are some players like you and Andrew Winton and uh, Xavier Rudd um, who um, they're not necessarily I don't want to say you know your standard um, lap style players you know they're beating on it they're doing all kinds of different techniques but it seems like Australia and New Zealand definitely has some 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 players that are interested in in the lap style technique what are your thoughts on that yeah i think i think australia much more so than than new zealand you know because you've got john butler and xavier rudd and and then all of the you know all of their disciples that they naturally create um so there's kind of an aussie sound or an aussie thing which is that rootsy you know if you imagine dreadlocks bare feet and a weisenborn or a beaten up Cole Clark or beating up Maiton, you know, like it's quite a thing. Um, but New Zealand, you know, um, I know that the the perspective from your your part of the world is that New Zealand and Australia are, are very interlinked and you know interchangeable. But but the reality is that the cultures are very different, and you know we have different currency, for example. Um, so um, there is obviously you know we have a bond. We're, we're actually um, we're playing. The Black Caps, our cricket team, are playing Australia in uh, in about an hour and a half, and it's the, you know, that's like the the greatest rivalry that could be, you know, the New Zealand versus Australia. There's a lot of um, contention between us, you know. Um, obviously, they're our neighbours and we love them, but um, uh, but yeah. So I think in Australia that there is a a wise a bit of a wise and born thing. It's still yeah, you, but but in New Zealand it's it's not really the same. Um, it hasn't kind of found its way down here in the same way that, that it has there. But apparently Ben Harper, um, I heard a statistic that New Zealand has more Ben Harper fans per head of population than anywhere else in the world, and he's aware of that and he loves New Zealand for that reason. So um, you would presume that it, it naturally creates a lot of slide players, but, you know, honestly, I I, I know about five people who play Weisenborn in, in the whole of New Zealand. Uh, th there are obviously more, but there's not really anyone doing it 
you don't see anybody playing a Wisenborn on a stage in New Zealand, that's for sure. So this is a, a cool way to do the interview, I think, because we're, I'm, I'm going to do it reverse where, you know, you normally start off the interview with the bio, but now that you've kind of said that, you know, like only five Wisenborn players in New Zealand, it has to beg the question, like, how, how did you even come to start playing the Wisenborn? I was, uh, I was 17. I played guitar since I was 10, so I was already, already a guitar player. And I was 17, and um, some friends and I from school, we went, went out to Waimanama Beach, which is in, in Hawke's Bay, which is where I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, one of the friends had a beach house out there, and um, we went out and had a party, and we woke up, and the next morning we were cleaning the house and... Um, making breakfast and that kind of thing. And I was sweeping the floor and my friend Celia put on the CD and I just was kind of listening as I swept and, and I just kind of became more and more drawn in as the, as the album went on. And it was welcome to the cruel world, Ben Harper's first album. And I, um, and yeah, I suppose one of the things that intrigued me about it was the, the sound, you know, that, that instrument, I could hear that it wasn't a guitar I could hear that it was like a guitar, but it was different, and it was a large part of what made the music kind of distinctive, I suppose. Um, and so I, um, I, <laughs> if I remember correctly, I actually took the CD. Celia was my friend. I don't know why I didn't just ask her if I could borrow it, because <laughs> I must have been terrified that she would say no, because I could feel that my life was changing. You know those, you know those moments in your life where you you can feel that your life is not going to be the same from this point on or something, something is changing. Yeah. Um, and it was one of those, I, I could, I could feel that I was about to become obsessed with this music, you know? Um, and so I, I took the CD, I, I don't want to say stole cause I gave it back to her, <laughs> but I took the CD, put it in my bag or something and, um, went home and, you know, rinsed it. And, and I looked into what it was, um, uh, and that turned out to be a Weizenborn. Um, and so, yeah, and so I, I set about trying to find one and, and I went to the local music store and there's a guy named, guy who, who ran the music store in, in Hastings, um, a guy named Rob. He had a, a Harmony lap steel from 1939 or 1949, I can't remember. Basically this little short scale thing. It looked like, a, like it was modelled off a Gibson, like it was black but with a little bit of sunburst. Um, and it was, you know, it it was, uh, wasn't a particularly good one, but it looked cool, you know, and, and it was all I had at that point. I mean, I'd been tuning my acoustic guitar down and, um, putting it on my lap and clacking around on the frets trying to learn how to do this, um, which obviously wasn't ideal because, because the action's so low. So I got, so I bought, he sold me this lap steel for 300 bucks and we had to put a new pickup in it because the pickup, the original pickup was shot and, so I, I got that and that and that's what got me started in learning how to play. And then eventually I I contacted a dude named Roger Hartshorn who lived in Christchurch in the South Island in New Zealand and, and he, he was making Weisenborns and so I ordered one from him and he made me this thing it's a Merlin and it's still around. Um it, my friend Sean has got it at the moment. Um and so I had that for for a number of years or for a few years and um, after that, I, my dad put me on to Tony, Tony Francis, because um, I'd moved to Wellington by this stage, which is, and Tony lived not far from Wellington, so I went and met him, and 
um, and we became good friends and um, and I eventually got got one of his too and I, I've had a bunch of his now and, and you know we're, we're really tight and um, I get to try I get to try most of the things that he makes these days um, but yeah it was it was Ben Harper who um, who who got me into it initially yeah yeah that's crazy I, I you know I think coming from a, a Dobro background you know I I have still I hate to even admit this but I've still yet to really get into Ben Harper that much you know I went the Jerry Douglas, Rob Ikes, you know, oh, all, yeah. the, all your standard, you know, really great Dobro players. And now I'm branching out into all these other people. But it seems like a lot of the, especially like you said, in New Zealand and, well, yeah. Australia and different people have told me, you know, they, they the Weisenborn, they hear Ben Harper playing it. Um, I know I know there's other, you know, like Ed Garrard, um, mm. you know, lots of uh, David Lindley and people that yeah. that play it too. But, it's, uh, it's funny you say that about about um, the Rezo background and then getting into Harper because I'm sort of the other way around. I, I've been I've been recently really drawn to playing Rezo, um, and I speaking of Jerry Douglas, I um, I borrowed. There's a couple of songs on my new album which have Rezo on them. Um, I went round to uh, I got a friend named Tony Burt and. Uh, oh, yeah. in Wellington yeah I'm sure I'm sure a lot of the Rizzo hang- he always talks about Rizzo hangout and stuff so I'm sure <laughs> a lot of the listeners w- would know of him um but yeah he's like the he's the Rizzo guy that I know in town and um you know occasionally I'll go around and have a coffee with him and talk about slide guitars and um and I, I called him up one day and I said I've got this song I'm working on and I need um what I think I think it needs uh you know a, a steel body national sort of sound have, have, have you got any nationals and he said yeah um i've got one right here come around and come around and grab it so i went round and um and i and i played it and uh it was great you know it was a totally cool instrument um and just as i was about to leave he said oh before you go check this out check out what's just just turned up you know it only arrived a day or two ago and it was a paul beard um, Jerry Douglas signature, oh. which he'd ordered, you know, and yeah, and it just it had just arrived, and he put this thing on my lap, and I was like, oh, cool, and picked up the bar and went, and I played one note, and I was just like, wow, like completely <laughs> taken by this instrument, it, it 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 was it was just perfect, you know, and I instantly knew that I what I had in my head for the song was actually not a steel body sound, it was a wood body sound, and this guitar was the perfect the perfect guitar that I needed for this song but he'd only just got it and you know these things are you know thousands of dollars especially in New Zealand you know it costs us more like to, than you guys you know because we've got to get it here and all customs and taxes and um so he ju- just got this thing which he'd probably been waiting for for months and um and I didn't have the heart to to ask if I could use it but I sort of knew deep down inside that there was no question that that that's the one that had to be on the song, so I, so I I left and I took the um took the national and I went home and I recorded it and and it sounded cool but it just wasn't it wasn't quite right it wasn't what I had in mind and I and I couldn't shake the 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 my I shouldn't couldn't shake thinking about this this Jerry Douglas signature so I eventually called him up I think the next day and I said hey I'm so sorry man you know to to have to ask but. Is there any chance that I could borrow the bed and come and do it? And I, you know, I can pick it up in the morning and drop it off at night and stuff. And 
Tony was really cool, and you know he said um, he said oh you know there's not many people that I would that I would lend it out to, but you know I know you'll you'll look after it and do good things with it. So um, so I went around the next day and dropped off the national and went and um, and brought home the beard and, and recorded it, and it just it sounds amazing, man. It's such a such an amazing instrument. But I listen back to it, and it's you know it makes me want to get into it more. I, I'd love to because I I still play. I, I I play Rezo like a Weizenborn player, I guess. You know, I'd love to. I, I I'm going to explore, you know, more of the art of Rezo playing and playing it the way that the way that you should, I suppose, or you know, at least understanding the traditional approaches to Rezo so that I can take them, you know, have get them under my wing. But I think that with Ben Harper, um, that's that's part of the the reason why so many people get into slide because of him is because. You know, he gave it a new life, and it's it's not it's not to, from my perspective. You know, that's something that's certainly not to be underestimated because the Weizenborn obviously had been around for a long time, and it, and it's got a it's got a fairly rich history in particularly American music. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but um, but he you know when Ben Harper came along, he recontextualized it and he put it in a different musical context and made it and played it in a different way and. Yeah, just gave it a new life and made it cool, you know, and um, and that's 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 what drew me to it. And and I subsequently explored its history and, and looked into Hawaiian music and and bluegrass and you know all of its all of its other applications. But um, it was it was the the new the fresh the fresh context that he gave it for me, which just drew me in. Yeah, see, because you're. You know, I, I look at myself more as an instrumentalist. You know, I'm my singing. I, I attempt to sing sometimes, but you know, you're you're a really great singer. You know, so I'm sure that you found a kinship with him, being a singer songwriter that you are, mm. and then the singer songwriter that he is. Where he's, you know, he's not just kind of the guy in the background. He's up in in the front writing the songs, yeah. and singing the songs. Um, I know that before you played Wisenborn, and you kind of got into that. You 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 had your own uh, group, right? The Thomas Oliver Band, and you guys toured all over the place, right? Is that is that the case? Yeah, that that was um, that wasn't actually before I, I played Wisenborn. Oh, okay. I used to play Wisenborn with with that band. Ah. Um, so yeah, I I, um, I I had that band from about two thousand and five to two thousand and twelve, perhaps. Oh, okay. Um, so we did it did it for a while, and and yeah, it was kind of a um, a roots kind of sometimes bluesy, sometimes rootsy, sometimes rocky band, and um, I used to play Wisenborn and Lap Steel in that band, um, and it was cool. Yeah, we 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 did did a bunch of touring and and got to support a whole bunch of legends like Joe Cocker and Eric Clapton and um, uh, a whole lot of George Thorogood, Fat Freddy's, whole lot of people, and and um, yeah, and I used to love I used to love that. Um, and then I did as that band kind of um, kind of moved apart. Um, that's when I started to really focus on the Wisenborn thing. So I always played, but that was when I um, started to kind of um, yeah home in on the the actual Wisenborn instrumental thing. Gotcha, gotcha. And and maybe what I was thinking of the I read a little bit. Um, Aaron, Aaron Radford has a a great site, the Wisenborn Information Exchange, and and. Uh, you were on there, and and um, 
I kind of wanted to learn during the, the our interview, so I apologize, you know, about getting some stuff wrong. But I I know that you did drum and bass stuff. Uh, or, now tell us about that. What's what what is that, and what you know? Some of our listeners may not even know what that is. Drum and bass. So for anyone who doesn't know, drum and bass is basically a a, a genre of heavy electronic dance music, um, and it's been around since the early 90s um, and it came about uh, in 1969 the Winstons released a track and the, the flip side of that track was a tune called Amen Brother and there was a drum break in that tune um, which went on to become the most sampled drum break drum break in history it basically go it, it's a drum break in the sense that all the other instruments drop out and it's just the drum kit which means that you can sample it and, and use it it basically goes and um and yeah so that became sampled and you know in hip hop and it, it basically built drum and bass so drum and bass is generally 170 bpm to 175 bpm you know dance music genres are defined by their tempos yeah um but yeah, so if you just sing, that's the that's the tempo, uh, the, the the beat around which drum and bass is built. Yeah. And um, I grew up on, you know, my parents were into Bob Dylan and Neil Young and James Taylor and BB King and Buddy Guy and stuff like that, Bonnie Raitt, Joni Mitchell. So so um, I grew up on on all that. And when I was a teenager, I fell in love with punk music and. Um, particularly like skate punk um and and I, and when i yeah and then i i kind of got back to blues and i was heavily into blues for a while and then in 2005 i i 2006 somewhere around there i fell in love with drum and bass um you know how i was talking about those moments yeah that you have in your life where you feel that your life is going to be different and i fell in love with drum and bass and i used to go to um i used to go to all, all the all the parties and there was a, a venue in Wellington called Sandwiches, which is where all the international drum and bass DJs would come and play. And I fell in love with it because it's just so so outrageously different to the music that I had known my whole life. Like, for example, um, song structures don't exist. We know song songs as we know them with verses and choruses and bridges and stuff are completely unapplicable. Because it would generally be like intro, first drop, breakdown, second drop, or whatever, and and guitars are just nowhere to be seen. You know, <laughs> slide guitars, you know, never. Um, and even vocals, you know, like vocals are only intermittent. You know, a lot of most drum and bass is is, is not about vocals at all. And, and you know, when you go to a go to a drum and bass party, the the music just goes relentlessly for hours and hours. You know, there's not even any breaks because the DJs are mixing the tunes and. Um, and you know, I would stand on dance floors for five hours and dance to this music, which was just so you know, it's all electronic and the beat, you know, it's basically the same tempo for five hours. It's crazy, you know, and it, it was just so vastly different to anything that I knew that I just fell in love with it and the culture associated with it. And and um, and I started DJing and you know, buying records. I'd go to the record store every Thursday and you know, spend a hundred bucks on records and. I'd DJ and play, playing vinyl and stuff, and um, and eventually I got into so so Trey, who's a drum and bass producer, um, who who lives in Wellington too. He um he ended up being my neighbour, and we we met and we had mutual friends who were my auntie and uncle, and 
Um, and he said, oh, do you want to do a tune together? You know, do you want to? And so, and I said, yes. And we wrote this tune called Lead Me On and released that. And and then it kind of snowballed like Concord Dawn, who's another really reputable name in drum and bass. Um, he heard that tune and then contacted me and said, do you want to do a collab? And then Rido from the Czech Republic heard the Concord Dawn tune and he hit me up about doing a tune and that got released on Metalheads, which is one of the biggest drum and bass labels in the world, run by Goldie. And then a whole bunch of people heard that and, you know, and I started getting messages about doing collabs. Um, so it just ended up being this sort of thing which I was doing on the side, and um, which was awesome because um, because it's I, I love the music and, and it's, like I said, it's so different that it's such a cool avenue to be involved in. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, so yeah, it's it's kind of like I like I was saying at the start about um, I've always had lots of avenues to my lots of facets to my musicianship. I guess you know some people know me as a Weizenborn instrumental player. Some people know me as a drum and bass vocalist. Some people know me as a singer songwriter, and some people know me as like a blues rock band guy. You know, and so I've always been quite confusing in that sense. You know, like people freak some people freak when they find out that that i do that too or you know um so with the the album that i'm working on at the moment what i was kind of getting at at the time was um it's the first time i've kind of just tried to break down the walls and make it all work together so there's Weizenborn and there's rezo but it's a singer songwriter album but it's heavy sometimes and it's got electronic influence like i've programmed some of the beats myself and so it, it's the first time it's kind of all come together. Anyway, I, I digress. Um, no, man, that's cool. I, I can see yeah. it. I, I, you know, and that's what I wanted this to be too, is, is to, to kind of show all the different uh, facets of, of uh, Thomas Oliver, you know, cause you're a, it's, it's definitely an interesting guy, man. You've got so many, so many different, like you said, facets to your, to your music that um, it's, it's awesome. I, I just really, really dig it. I got. I do have one question. This has just popped into my mind, and I got to ask you. Being the studio geek, uh, how did you go about micing the Rezo versus how you normally mic the Weizenborn? What was the difference? I know that's totally uh, random compared to what we no, were just cool. talking about. No, that's totally cool. <laughs> uh, I I just used um, I did it. I just used a um, a Chatteroke E seven hundred, which is uh, a f- a fit microphone, large diaphragm condenser, basically. Um, just had one mic and I just angled it in. I just found a sweet spot, but angled it generally at the twelfth fret or sort of across the um, the cone. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I used my Buzz Audio preamp and I ran it through the. I tracked it through my LA two A um, just to just to take the edge off. Um, but that was about it, really. Um, it, I mean, it was just such a beautiful sounding instrument naturally that yeah. I, I wasn't trying to create something. Um, yeah, and it, you know it was in the mix of a song. There was bass and acoustic guitar and Hammond organ and vocals and stuff. So I wasn't trying. Yeah, I was basically just trying to get something that would sit sit on top of that. So um, so that worked perfectly. Yeah, the Rezo can be a, a tricky thing to mic with the two sound holes and then the cone, you know, mm. and, and trying to get get it just right. That's the way I do it too. I kind of I found just a little bit up from the cone and kind of in between the two sound holes you know kind of right yeah. where your, right where your picking hand is See, seems oh, to yeah. give a sweet spot right there you know oh cool yeah yeah very cool man well man do you have anything else you want to uh talk about or anything that uh 
Uh, any advice um, maybe you can give to some of, uh, I know a lot of my students will be watching this. Advice? Oh, man, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, 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 um, I always feel a bit sheepish giving advice to people. I, I, I don't know what... Um, don't know what I would have to say that anyone should listen to, <laughs> but uh, I I don't know. Uh, do, do you want to talk about the moment anymore? Because you're sure. going to do an accompanying, accompanying tab with this, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. That'd be great. Um, just trying to think if there's anything else that. Um, ha- have you got any questions about the moment or how how you play it or? Well, I mean, one thing that m- you might be able to break down is the form of it because I know you know when I was going to tackle it, you know, I looked at all these pages of tablature and I'm like, you know, but I know that, I know it has like some sort of a form that, you know, you are repeating that form. So what, what would that be? Maybe breaking down the form of the tune? Sure. Yeah. It's actually really simple. Generally the way I approach writing Weizenborn instrumentals is I just think of them like songs and you know, that the melody is like the vocal melody and, and then the chord movement is the chords underneath that. That's sort of the way I think about it in my head. Um, and the moment is just um, it's just verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, verse, or bridge outro. So um, so the first verse is four times through the chord progression, then the chorus. Second verse is half that, so just two times through the verse progression, then the chorus. And then there's the bridge, which is when it goes to the two chord or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from that point on, it just does another verse, like four four of the verse progression again, and then a couple of repeats, so it ends up being you know four and five or something four and three halves or um but essentially it's just a song structure verse chorus verse chorus bridge verse outro ish nice and that's probably how i'll i'll you know uh, uh just kind of telling the listeners you know i was planning on doing a a lesson with this one and and that's what i was going to do is to you know suggest well here's just another verse uh but here's what he does different this time or here's what he does different you know so, because that's yeah. what I hear when you do it, you do do some subtle things that are just a little bit different each time, you know. Yeah, a lot of those things are they're just little, uh, like little fills in between. So they're the things that change. There, there are slight sort of phrasing differences, but generally, um, this bit here you know sometimes I'll go or sometimes go you know, or whatever it may be exactly um, and then and then a couple of little bits that change throughout but and those fills really you know are interchangeable sometimes I'll just make them up on the spot you know I'll do the verse riff and then when I get to the fill part often live I'll just make one up or just do whatever I'm feeling that they can kind of change um I think um I just as I was playing it I just came across one thing which um which is a little bit tricky at the start each verse riff when it goes there's the space note here there's boom da um it's just another thing that I've seen that on when I've watched other people playing it it seems to be something that that gets missed but um there's a bass note here, the C sharp. Oh, what is that? A, a B flat. Um, just before that, boom, bam, da, da, so you kind of have to try and sneak the sneak the note in yeah. um, before before you jump down. Um, cool. Yeah. 
And as far as the tuning on that goes, uh, do you normally, I know it's tuned, is it a whole step flat or, I mean, can, just a semitone flat. Semitone, okay. So it's, it's yeah, standard major tuning down a semitone. Okay. And you would definitely recommend people to uh, keep the same gauge of strings that they would normally have on their Wiseborn and just tune it down a half step? Yeah, you could, pro- you could probably go up a gauge to 14s, but, um, but okay. uh, it works fine for me. I, um, t- the way Tony Francis puts it is that, you know, sometimes it, you can start hearing the string and not the instrument. You know, if you if you have too fat, too heavy a gauge on, it starts to sound like the strings and not the instrument. So that would be my my reason for not going up a gauge because down a semitone is not much. You know, the the thir- and 13s are already decent gauge. They're going to handle it. So C sharp for me works well. But obviously, you can play the song in D or you can play it in E flat or wherever you want to play it. Okay. I just found that that C sharp was where it sat. C sharp. Excuse me. Uh, yeah. Got a softness about it, which I liked, and um, and it worked well there. Very cool, man. Very cool. Well, and I've enjoyed this so much. It's a, I'm a I'm a total fan cool, of, me too. of Thomas Oliver. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, good deal. Well, we'll 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 go ahead and sign off here. And man, I just want to thank you again. And and um, let me let me say your website again. Thomas Oliver, and that's T H O M A S Oliver dot C O dot N Z if you guys want to check it out yeah and, uh, but probably um facebook and instagram and all, all the social media is probably the best places to get me because they're the ones where i'm posting and i'm often posting what i'm up to on instagram or facebook so so if you want to um keep you know keep up with my new album and, and um, release dates and new new songs and stuff um yeah come and find me on social media and tell tell us that new album again i'm, I'm super excited to, to see this cool, album man. come out yeah what, uh, floating in the darkness is what it's called floating in the darkness and it, we're looking for it i won't hold you to this but around you know what, what? Uh, se- second half of the year I'll, I'll leave it i'll leave it that i basically I'll, I'll be finished it in about a month's time okay um, and then yeah um, potentially sometime around august or that's that's a guess but the second half of, of 2016 it'll, it'll be out yeah very cool very cool well, Thomas Oliver, guys, hope you enjoyed it. And Thomas, thanks, man. And great. Okay. Well, take care, and we'll see you. If you ever want to do this again, just let me know. It'll be fun. Nice one. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> see, see you. See you later.